Hello and welcome to a Burkamp Wonderland. We are an Arsenal podcast. And with me tonight, I've dug them up. It's the boy. It's uh, one, two, three. It's uh, two fifths, much like the Beatles. No, there was four of them. There's two fifths of Goonersphere. I'll start with the man who's got the same name as me. It's James Ralph Stokes. Oh, no, that's not my name, is it? All right, Stokesy. Hello. How are you doing, Treacle? Um, I'm fair to middling, you know, lockdown blues, but getting there. You're very red. Are you all right? You're not going to have, you haven't got the plague or anything. There's a light right above my head. That's why I'm so red. So if I do that. Oh, I thought you were just angelic or angry. I'm going to turn it off, actually. Oh, same with my lights if i have the one my leds off above me one shines on my big fat bald greasy head and no one can see anything it's, it's illumination disgusting. don't need any of that lot also another part of the goons the man who made it all run that we all know daniel that the people though who are who are in charge are the ones with all the skills actually and the others are just around there to make us feel good aren't they how are you doing i'm i'm doing well danny i'm uh yeah pleased to be back in the the saddle along with the real talent you know, we all know everyone else with the real talent. I was, I was, I was just the code monkey. <laughs> um, we forgot last time you were on to um, you, there was an announcement at the end of the last podcast that you were on, and we you forgot to announce it. So, what was the announcement, and how did the announcement get on? <laughs> but it's probably a good thing we didn't announce anything. Uh, well, the announcement was that James and I are, are, are planning a comeback. Um, I'm calling a comeback. <laughs> yeah, we're we're, pl- we're planning a comeback. We're we're taking our uh, two man tap dancing show on the road. Um, we'll be going. It's going to be glorious. Town to town, we're going to be doing interpretive dance. Um, Primarily, we're going, yeah. Yep, we're going to be interpreting the 1984-1985 Argos catalogue through the medium of silent silent dance and mime. Oh, I couldn't um, get through that with a straight face. I've actually there's That's a website. How practice I am. There is a website of all the old Argos catalogs on. Did you know about that? Well, that's where we get our inspiration. Excellent. That's where we've been um, looking. Well, that was on the um, the seventh of October two thousand and twenty. That was our highest viewing show of that month. We got five thousand three hundred and fifty seven views, one hundred and seventeen likes. We got seven dislikes. So Jock has obviously that's all Jock. Yeah. yeah. All I can say is that collectively, James and I are a very big deal. We have many leather-bound books and our apartment that we share. Smells of rich mahogany. Smells of rich mahogany. And you have a pipe that you share between you. You have six months each of uh, custody of the pipe. And from when you're feeling wise, you get out one of your crusty books, sit back and uh, try and edumacate your kids. How's that going? Well, we just like to relax with a little bit of jazz flute. Oh, amazing so any update on the how did that show do that you said you were coming back on the 7th of october you said you were going to relaunch it did you do any because I, I don't remember seeing any of them no no we we haven't got round to it yet we're very we are we are very busy people um you know we've both got very young families so um you know it will happen i just don't know when we'll get there we'll get there uh, well you need to make the most it, of it, young we'll family. probably just you know emerge in a blaze of glory at some point just when people at that point when they're not expecting it, then we arrive. Yeah, like because soon your kids, they will leave you and they will pretend that you're yeah. dead and they won't give a shit. You may get a call once a month from university asking for money or food and then uh, that's it. That's what they yeah. do because quite frankly, when they get older, they're scumbags. We're going to so, Freddie uh, Youngberg it. No one's going to suspect a thing and out of nowhere, we're just going to arrive late in the box and bury it in the back of the net. That's or you're happen. both off to play for Shizuma S-Pulse in Japan. 
it's one or the other and uh personally i hope it's the first right um now we've got all that nonsense out of the way let's um the first thing that i think we should talk about is the southampton games daniel start with you the first game of the FA Cup game, he dropped half the team and brought in a load of people we'd never heard of. And we, we got absolutely smashed 1-0 with an own goal, as some people would tell you on Twitter. And then the, re- the return game, which was the league game, for me, which is the most important, we uh, we smashed them 3-1 last night. So what was your thoughts on the whole double Southampton... Um, I can't think of a word. Yeah, I, I think the double header. Yeah, I think it went precisely how it was always going to go. Um you know, Arteta said after the 3-1 win the other night that he had to rest players. And, you know, I, I think I said at the time, if you look at Arsenal's first choice 11, our best possible 11, I think we've got a, a top six 11. I think you could say our first 11 is worthy of a top six place or can compete with anyone in the league. Problem is we don't have a good 25. We have a we We have had... And we continue to have a lot of dead weight, a lot of dross in the squad. People who who aren't necessarily bad players, but they're not top level players. They're not people you can rely on. And, you know, I think of someone like Elneny, who is not a bad player. I think he's a reliable squad player, but he's the sort of person, you know, you bring in in a league cup match or the person you bring on with 10 minutes to go when, you know, you just want someone extra to stick in a few tackles. Who's not on a yellow card yet, or if they need to put in a last ditch tackle and, and, you know, take the yellow someone you don't mind, you don't mind losing. Um, But at the moment he's sort of teetering, you know, in that position where he's considered, you know, an important first team player because he's playing regular games. He's coming on on a lot. He's almost always on the substitutes bench. And I don't think that's the quality that we really need to look at. Um, But then you see Emil Smith-Rowe and Partey both picking up injuries on Tuesday night. And you can really start to see why we rested players on, on uh, at the weekend. And I think that whilst losing um, a match in the FA Cup, a cup which is, you know, um, inexorably ours. It, you know, it, it's our cup. We've won it more than anyone else. We've been in more finals than anyone else. It's Arsenal's cup. It hurts to go out, but, but, but you know, it, it was right for us to prioritise the league game. We need to get further up the league if we want to attract good quality players and move on. Hmm. What do you think, James? I, I, I agree with Daniel. I mean, I, when you scroll through Twitter, you do see a lot of people that don't necessarily agree with what he did, but he had to do it. You cannot field your strongest team for every single game, so you have to prioritise. And as far as I'm concerned, if we're going to start prioritising the three, three competitions that we're in, then some people might disagree with me, and that's fair enough. But I personally think the FA Cup is the bottom of the three. I think uh, if we're going to go for a cup, we're far better off putting everything towards the Europa League because the uh, the reward's bigger. We haven't won the competition. If we win it, we get the Champions League, which I don't think we're going to accomplish Champions League through the league. That's looking more or less less likely as each week passes. Although you never know. It's been a funny old season, hasn't it? I mean, we could put a good run together and quite easily get up there. We're only four points behind Liverpool. But if you think about it logically, we're probably not going to. So... In that respect, yeah, I totally agree with Daniel. I think he made the right decision to pick a lesser team for the first game and a stronger one for the second. As far as the games themselves go, I thought the first one was an unbridled shower of toilet. Um, 
we didn't deserve anything from it really but at, at the same time we didn't deserve anything from it but i didn't think we looked particularly sort of like in danger of getting a battering we didn't get overrun southampton were noticeably the better team it's just one of those meh games that we lost due to a shitty own goal and those things happen from time to the time i don't really see the point of getting too mad about it and i thought the get the, the, the repeat fixture uh, last night i thought we were really really good it's a much more open game arguably we wouldn't worse defensively in the victory because we did concede quite a few chances but I thought offensively we were markedly better and we deserved to win. The pressing was in, just insane from the first minute and yeah. they were actually very fortunate to go ahead. It was just um, you know, not knocking Pepe because he had a great job um, a great game but he didn't do his job in that first cut. He wasn't awake in those first couple of minutes. He wasn't doing his defensive job which is why he lost Armstrong and um, you know they got that goal but Apart from that, like James says, you know, they had chances, but we were just so much better offensively. Um, and it could have been it could have been four or five or six. You know, we had we had the opportunity to do that. I do think that sometimes these arseholes on Twitter, um, I mean, Twitter, I mean, first of all, the people on Twitter don't realise that the vast majority of the human race have no idea what Twitter is. And the ones who know what Twitter is don't give a fuck about what you're saying on Twitter. They all think you're idiots. And those shouting and screaming, just because they've got the bigger mouths and they think they know. So if you knew anything, people, if you knew anything about football, you would not be sat at home in your mum's basement with a pile of uh, sandwiches next year. I was going to say porn then. You would do good managing football. You're not, you're idiots. So shut up. You do sometimes get the impression that there are, and whether you want to say rightly or wrongly so, but there are people who think or assume that if a person has X amount of followers and that immediately decrees some sort of level of knowledge, when a lot of the time, I'm not going to name any names, but there are certain people who I could point this at. The bigger the following, the bigger the fucking moron. <laughs> Do you know, I, a... it, it's interesting. I've, I've seen a lot of stuff both in, you know, well-known, um, you know, video blogs and podcasts and people tweeting and whatnot. Who, it's really interesting that there seems to be a bit of a shift. There's a lot of people now who are very virulently anti Arteta because they because they can't see the project. And Why? then there are other people or they don't want to. And there are other people who can see the project who are defending it. And again, I'm not going to name names, but I saw someone the other day saying um, about their problem with people who are anti Arteta is that. Um, you know, they don't have a problem with them disagreeing with the manager or not thinking the manager is the right person. Their problem is when their opinion turns to hate. And I was looking at you just thinking, like, you have no self-awareness. Like, this yeah. this person was one of the biggest um, abusers of Arsene Wenger every single week. Like, no matter, I mean, give, give them credit for consistency, but no matter <laughs> the result, it was always Arsene Wenger's a clown, Arsene Wenger's a beep, 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 beep. It's just all the time, just constantly laying into Wenger. And now all of a sudden, they're like, hey, guys, you know, let's be nice about the manager. Let's not abuse. And it's like, I just think collectively, as a fan base, we we, 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 we are a very capricious, fickle bunch. Um, there's, there's a lack of self-awareness, especially around people within a Twitter sphere. And, you know, I think that's the same at all clubs. Because I think social media allows you to get away with just talking shit all the time um, without anyone really checking you. But um, it seems to be 
seems to be that little bit worse at Arsenal. And I think part of that is is because we've we've still got amongst the fan base this big club mentality. Um, but we're achieving mid-table club results and have been for a long time. Um, you know, we're a cup team and we have been a cup team for a decade. Um, I think... I think is that that disconnect between expectation and reality leads to a lot of anger. But I do think that the Arteta project, as it as it as I'm going to call it, is t- is t- t- raising that bar so that reality is is going to start inching closer to expectation. It's not where people want it to be, but I say give it two or three years, and I think expectation and output are going to be very closely aligned. True. It's. Um, I think it all started yeah, a few years ago when it was the the very. Um, it was the tabloids doing the clickbait nonsense, and then after the tabloids doing clickbait, then it was the bloggers. Then after the bloggers, it was the big Twitch. I mean, the big Twitter people. Twitch, no Twitch, no involved in any of this. It was the big names on Twitter, and now it's absolutely everybody clickbaiting to try and become famous. But I often see people tweeting and going, "Oh, follow me! I want more followers." I say, "No, no, you don't want any followers. The less followers you have, the better. That's the less number of people that are going to tell you you're wrong." Because I think I did clickbait once. Oh, I've done it loads of times. It was deliberate. The clickbait, it was um, Arsenal Arsenal signed 30 million wonder kid Riquinho. And it got about something ridiculous, like 150,000 clicks. And it was a rickroll. As soon as they clicked that link, it took them straight onto the website, which auto started auto-playing Rick Astley. Um and it was interesting that a lot of people who clicked it was just like, I don't get this. Like, what is this about? And it's like, okay, clearly, like, you don't know what Rick Rolling is. Um, but that was probably the best ever performing article that I ever put out, especially in the first 24 hours. And it goes to show that this is what why people, people that's why they do clickbait. All, yeah. Really, all people care about is transfers. Yeah. That's it. Which is why and even. Fans- like in the middle of the season, you've got the transfer rumours. Um, you go onto, um, you know, the BBC News website. You go onto Sky Sports. Every night at midnight, they update it with the latest article of all the latest rumours. And I think I mean I, I I click on them. I read them. I was getting pissed off with Sky Sports the other day because um, on the list of Arsenal transfer rumours, he kept saying in in the headline it was like you know Urzel close to reaching. Um, deal with Fenerbahce and then the next line was saying um, you know Mustafi tries to force way out or something like that with a question mark and I clicked into it and there were 20 like individual stories laid into it not a single one of them was about Mustafi and I'm getting I'm clicking refreshing it every sort of hour or so thinking you're drawing me in to find out the latest news on Mustafi and you're not giving me the latest news on um, Mustafi so you know it happens to all of us. Every everyone's interested in those, those clickbaity art, uh, articles, and we all get suckered into it, which is why they keep doing it. So you know we've got to break the cycle, I guess. Stop reading the crap. And then you've got other the other level of of Arsenal fandom is the ones who say shit because it's their living. They've got to say controversial stuff. They've got to get outraged. They've got to throw their phones and, and scream at the camera and bang the table because that's what, that's what people want. It's Big Brother syndrome. If, if everyone sat around on Big Brother drinking tea and talking about the weather, nobody would watch it. So they've got to get there. That's why Big Brother moved on from a social experiment to getting all the, the influencers and getting all those morons on. Ignore them. 
you, your it's opinion the means backstory, isn't it? It's what? Say, it's the X Factor backstory. I mean, give it a few more years, and you know there'll be people on a YouTube channel saying, "I've come along to this Arsenal match hoping for a win because you know my nan always wanted me <laughs> to go to what wanted my nan always believed that one day I would watch Arsenal play West Brom at the Emirates." You know, some shit like that. And it's, I've got to do it good. She died last year, and I want to fulfill her final wish of uh, seeing the Arsenal under 23s play the Wolves under 23s and some crap like that. It's always, it's going to be that crappy backstory, isn't it? You know, the, you know, the, you're not there for the show. You're not there for the opinions. You're not there for the talent. You're there for the story. But it's uh, so much has changed since then. I mean, but, but ABW started in 2013. I think I started Jesus. in 2012. Is it that long, it that long ago? Jesus. Yeah. We've hey, done... Yeah, we started. This is podcast 387. So that's 387. I, remember I, I was on the third episode you did. <laughs> oh, great day. Is one where you just constantly talked about biscuits? No, I think I did that with Amanda. No, it's cake. Cake. Yeah. Um, Battenberg. Yeah. Battenberg, yeah. We had a lengthy discourse about the uh, the do's and do nots of preparing and eating a delicious Battenberg. As long as you don't get a tattoo of a flaming Battenberg on your ass, that's the like was that that Welsh bloke who's got one the Too Canadian. Late. Huh? Too late. I'd bear my ass on this podcast to show everyone, but I don't think that'd go down particularly well. There might be ladies watching and they wouldn't be able to contain their excitement. Yeah, so the, the whole the pod- <laughs> So before we started, uh, I was saying to Dan that you should come back because there's uh, there's so many Arsenal podcasts out there that are absolute shit. You've got people who, who can barely string a sentence together, knocking out podcasts at an alarming rate, people who have a huge agenda. Talking about um, having clickbait and stuff like that, you'll never see any clickbait from the ABW account, and that's been going since 2013. And we, we don't – I mean, my own account, do it all the time, did one last night, I said, um, you lot should be grateful. Pepe has almost not been shit for the entire game or something like that, and then he goes and scores a goal. And uh, mm-hmm. I think I, I kind of jinxed that. But there's so many people make a living out of being – well, I'm going to say I've been arseholes about and nothing's ever good enough. Everything's shit. And, and this is, it's just going to get worse and worse as the, the age of the, the, the demographic of the people listening to the shows is getting short, um, younger and younger and younger. People who used to be regular listeners to ours um, don't listen anymore. They've, they've gone off and had families and grown up. And so you get younger and younger people and all they want is drama. They want outrage. They want, it's like, it's like when you watch the YouTube stuff. It, that's that's bled into to podcasting and there are a handful of really decent ones out there we're lucky but i think at any one time there's about 70 or 80 arsenal podcasts going around and i support all of them um well a couple that i don't like but yeah more the merrier but it does mean that uh trying to find some decent gems is is really hard but you anyway, don't get anywhere with a balanced thought out argument these days do you the point i'm trying to make they're not interested if you have a, a decent discussion on on tactics and stuff i don't want to know that i just want to know i want to see you scream and punch the punch someone well no that's not going to happen so um what else are we going to talk about um you mentioned transfers dan yeah. uh daniel i need to call you down then i hate being called dan um yeah so what do, what's your thoughts on the uh do you have any thoughts on matt ryan and on the, the the bloke called Martin, who I've got a little one minute audio clip to play from my Norwegian yeah, the mate. God. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So I want to know what you both think about Matt Ryan yeah. and what you both think about Martin. Want to go first, James? Oh, okay, fine. Um, I'm so, just going to get a smoothie. Two seconds. I'm going to the fridge. It's right behind me. I, th- I think. Hot smoothie action. Mm. Yeah, so I, I think both. <laughs> 
I think both are decent signings. Um, my my only real concern is, and I think this comes down to you know availability, money, etc. It, it's the loan element of it. Um, so I know that we were looking at David Ryer in the summer. Um, we ended up, um, yeah, ended up picking picking up uh, Runison, uh, who's turned out to be toilet so <laughs> you put uh, some thought into what you were going to say then <laughs> so we uh so you know we, yeah we needed another keeper my only my only worry about the business that we've done is that we've had to work incredibly hard to free up space in the squad by moving on you know um players who aren't well we moved on Papa and we've moved on Urzil, who weren't in the squad of 25. We've created one space by passing over, um, but by selling or, or loaning out Kalasanach. So we've got one space. So where do they fit in? What's going to happen? Someone is going, someone's going to have to leave. Runison, um, going? Runison, possibly. Um, Maybe Mustafi as well. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's it's just the numbers are so finely balanced. So I think we've done good business. And I, I think, do you know what? People are going to give Arteta a lot of grief over recruitment, specifically because of um, what's happened with William. I do think the best outcome between now and the end of the season for all concerned is for William to actually find some form. Um that is that is the best outcome because then we we get the player that we were supposed to have. He also then creates possibly a bit of interest with other teams, and then we can move him on. Um, otherwise, we might end up with a situation where we have a bit part player picking up two hundred grand plus a week, which you know is not sustainable. Um, but when I look at uh, when I when I look at what Arteta has done, what did we need? We needed a um, left-footed centre-back. He's bought in two brilliant ones. You know, um, Gabriel is going to be an absolutely world, an absolute worldie. Um, Pablo Mari um, has quietly come in. You know, fourteen million quid, and you know, in today's money, that's that's pennies. And he has been faultless. Um, Rob Holding um, has sort of revitalised his career a little bit. It looked like at one point he might be going out on loan, but. He's been one of our best defenders, you know, for a number of weeks. Um, you know, he's brought in, um, you know, uh, a couple of extra keepers to replace Macy and uh, and, and Martinez. Uh, he's brought in uh, Thomas Party, who's Thomas Party is that player. Do you know? Remember that period between sort of 2010 and about 2018 under Wenger, where we always say, "Oh, we're, we're one player away." From challenging that one player is Thomas Party. He he's that player that we were missing that whole time, um, and I, everyone always wants to make the comparison to um, to, to Patrick Vieira, but actually I think the player that he's most similar to is um, Michael Essien. Um, obviously, his um, probably would have been one of his idols in the national team at Ghana. Uh, he's had that similar kind of impact. He's come in and he's just he hasn't played a lot because of injuries and stuff, but you've seen glimpses of like, this guy's a real player. He's an absolute baller. And, you know, we've, we've managed, it's no wonder Atletico Madrid are so annoyed with us. We've just ripped probably the best player out of their team for what is 
pretty reasonable money in in today's. So I think I think um, I think Arteta has, has bought in players in every position where we've needed to strengthen. But more impressively, he's managed to clear out all the players who were either a negative influence on the team or a negative influence on the squad or who were picking up a paycheck and, and not part of the, um, you know, not part of the plan. So I, I, I think when you actually look at what has, what's been achieved in, in two and a half transfer windows, really, he's done an outstanding job. That won't go down well on Twitter. Do you want to, do you want to change your opinion? No, I don't care what James, have you got a counter opinion that you're gonna do you want to throw something? Do you want to insult his parentage or or just just storm off or do you agree? Um I'm not really insulting the parentage or storming off kind of guy, so I shan't do either of those. Um it's very hard to I mean Daniel and I tend to think alike and have the same opinions and what he says I tend to agree with. And this is the only thing I would say where I think Arteta has made two mistakes or mistakes is probably not the choice, correct choice of word. Two things he's done that I don't necessarily agree with. One is Runarsson. I think he was a, it's just a baffling purchase. That one was, I can't think of any logical reason why someone who can't get into Dijon's first team would be deemed good enough for Arsenal. Maybe there are people there who know more than I do, but that one baffles me. And well, there is there is a reason. There was a little bit of a reason, if you want me to tell you. It was the um, the goalkeeper coach, right? He knew that's it. it. Yeah, not that that's a good enough reason. And plus, they had a player that was worth a million pound, had a good run of games. And they went, "Oh, do we take twenty million for him?" And I went, "Fuck yes, we'll take twenty million. We'll go and buy someone. That the, who, who can we get for a million pound? Oh, my my, uh, my nephew or whatever it was. So mm. not exactly yeah, the greatest football in the TV." Yeah, I mean, it's not his fault. I feel sorry for him to an extent. It's not his fault. He's just not at this level, and I don't think he ever will be. Yeah, it's a bit. Sadly. I think it's a bit. It's a bit harsh because a lot of people just say, "Oh, he's shit, and he's this, he's that, he's the worst goalie." But it's a bit harsh that after a couple of games, one of which admittedly was unbelievably shit awful. Um, the second thing I don't agree with is, or I didn't agree with, is, I, and I still don't vehemently, is bloody William. 32-year-old from Chelsea, passed his best for three-year contract with madness. I, I just couldn't, I mean, I, I, you look at it, maybe he's a good squad player, maybe, but maybe on a year's contract, it would have made sense. Even two, but three, nah, that's just... That I don't agree with. That was madness. But um, in relation to the things he's done more recently, Matty Ryan, I think, is a solid premiership goalkeeper and certainly solves our problem of having a backup, at least someone who we can rely upon. I've watched him a couple of times at Brighton. He's always looked like a decent shot stopper. Um, Martin Udegaard, or however you pronounce his name. Um, It's... I'm not sure about the it's risk reward on that one. I mean, it's not it's a risk. If he pays off, do we get to keep him? Probably not. If he has a blind in six months for us, then maybe he gets us into a higher league position. Maybe we can win a trophy. But are we going to keep him if he performs? If he performs really well, Madrid are probably going to want him back. We if said that about Spiros last season, and we got him for a second season. And towards the end of last season, for us, he was brilliant. Mm. Yeah, I just you just get the impression that even Sabios now, if we wanted to buy him, we still have to fork out 30, 40 million for him. And 
I don't know about you guys, but I'm not entirely sure that's a good idea. No, I, I, I agree with what James is saying there about the, the, the two tough purchases and um, as well as the loans. You know, you're not going to get a huge amount of disagreement out of me on that. But I, 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 do, I do wonder, I think as, as a club, I think our finances, uh, we don't have the ability to buy the players we want. And I think part of that is down to the way this this club was has, has been absolutely grifted by Raul um, uh, Sanei, but um, or Sanei can't, can't, can't never quite managed to get my tongue around his name. But um, Sanei, yeah. But he again, no disrespect to Pepe. I think Pepe is is a good player, but there is there is something you know deeply concerning about the fact that he cost almost identically what the club needed in order to get out of financial jeopardy. How much would it have cost to buy Lille? Because French mm. teams aren't expensive. I reckon you wouldn't have been far off with trying to buy the club for 76 million. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I, I think... Someone, that, someone remind me, how much were Palace quoting for Wilfred Zaha at the time? Two billion. About 80 Two million. Hmm. Well, they, they, he was he was greedy. He, he turned out to be a player. I mean, you, you don't be a, you don't you're not a player at a club and go. Oh, that Arsenal tried to sign me. I wish I'd have gone. Oh, thanks. I wouldn't have wanted Zaha. No, but and I I think I, he's I, the better. He would have been the better choice of the two. And I look at the, I look at the deals that we're we're making at the moment with the loans and things, and look at how much money um, Barcelona owe. You know, I, I don't know too much about the finances at Real Madrid. Billion. Oh, it's a lot of money. But I do wonder if we, if there wasn't a way that we could, you know, this is this is just me talking shit here. I'm not saying this is what we should do or that is possible. But I, I would hope that if someone who knows their way around a business deal would be approaching Real Madrid going, look, you've got these players on your books who currently you're loaning out year after year. You're not playing them in your team. You're banking on them being big stars in the future in Sabayos and Erdegaard. So why not sell them to us? We will bake into their contract that you can buy them back at the exact same fee that we buy them from you. So sell them to us at like a cheap fee, like 20, 25 million, whatever it is, you get money out of it. If they then become big bankable stars and you want to buy them back, okay, it's a risk for us that they that they do that in the future. But effectively, that's like getting them on a three to four year loan. You've got the stability of knowing that's your player until Real Madrid decide to come back in. But then if they come back in, player then has to decide, well, do I want to go back to Real Madrid? And if they've been in our team for a couple of years, regular starter, and they remember, well, actually, Real Madrid sold me and I couldn't get into the team before. They're constantly loaning me out. I'm looking at their team now and I don't actually see a way for me to get into the squad without having to, you know, f- f- um, basically start from nothing again and start. That might be a possibility. I'm not saying it is, but, you know, I, I think that there are ways for us to do things rather than um, having loans because I also think loaned players I do I think it's hard for fans to connect with a loaned player like you know if if you think back of you know, all the players uh, of our childhoods you know the, the players we we grew up on and we're like you know this is why I love football 
the Ian Wrights, the Alan Smiths, the Dennis Burkamps. The, for me, it was Ray Parler. Imagine if, you know, they were... No, Nelson man- Vivas. <laughs> yeah, Nelson Vivas. But, but imagine if instead of buying Dennis Burkamp, we just had him on loan for four years from Inter Milan. Would we have had that same connection with him? You know, it's the same with Thierry Henry from from Juve. Getting him in, if we'd got him in on a six months loan in that January rather than buying him, you know, I think that loaned players. I think there's a that there there is a logic to to loaning players out as a big club. You want to loan players out to smaller teams in order to get them games, to get them fitness, to improve their resale value, or to give them experience if they're a young player. If you're a big team, like we're supposed to be, if you loan a player, and usually it's because you have a short-term issue, you know, like you, you're running low on fullbacks or whatever, or you loan someone in on a short-term contract just to get you through the end of the season because you've got an injury crisis or whatever, and then you're going to go for your main person in the summer. The fact that some of our biggest deals or you know players who are quite important to the first first team squad in the last few years have come in on loans, I, it really worries me. I'm really worried that, you know, okay, Cedric has actually turned out to be quite a decent purchase for us in my opinion uh, I think he's been a solid player he's performed whenever he's come in people will complain oh he's keeping Ainsley Maitland Niles out of the team but personally I don't he's really want to see Ainsley. he's a better yeah, fullback than yeah and I don't want to see Ainsley playing fullback I, I want to see Ainsley I'd rather see Ainsley in the middle of the park than El Nenny you know me too actually so yeah. you know I look at I look at that and I just think um you know, okay, we we got him in permanently in the end, but we loaned him from Southampton. Like, why are we borrowing players from from Southampton? Why are we borrowing players from Brighton? And I get the whole try before you buy, but the I point think is with, that with Matty Ryan, I think we'll buy him in the summer. I hope so. Oh, I really do we'll, hope so. We'll give him a contract. I mean, yeah, and I, and I, it's just yeah, it's a, it's. I think there's a bigger story there at Arsenal. There's there's a there's there's some there's some something brewing financially that's prohibiting us from buying top players, and I think we I think it's something to be worried about. That's probably just the effects of having no fans in the stadium for the whole season. Got and no unless, fans. <laughs> unless Chelsea and you can be bankrolled by Abramovich, who else is going to be able to go out and spend two hundred million on? As Danny so eloquently puts it, Bundesliga mm. bastards. Yeah. But, it's finally catching on. It is. But the but what I would say about that is that two of the loans, so Suarez and Ceballos, first and second loan, well, first loan mostly, happened before fans were stopped from going in stadiums. So it's not like this has happened as a result of COVID. This was happening before then. And I, 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 I'm not saying, you know, we have to freak out that we've got no money, but I, I, I am concerned that we're getting into a situation where we're never going to quite be the squad we want to be because we're only ever buying that one big ticket player every year, which is, you know, we bought Partey, but we need a couple more. And if all we're doing is bringing them in on loan, if they perform and they go off back to their clubs, I mean, this summer, potentially, we could be Erdegaard down. We could be um, Ceballos down. And Matty Ryan, if he comes in and performs, then he does well. And he's offered a first team place somewhere else or second fiddle at Arsenal. What's he going to choose? You know, so I think 
potentially we have something brewing that in the summer we could find huge gaps in our squad and no money to replace them. And I don't want to end up in a situation where, you know, we're, we're, we're buying the Icelandic Ali Dia to play in goal again. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where, I mean, you're right. I mean, you think about it. David Luiz will leave in the summer. Mustafi will leave in the summer. I have a sneaky suspicion. I could sneak in suspicion. It sounds odd, but especially given his really good form at the moment, I have a sneaky suspicion we won't offer Lacazette a new contract. I think because he's pushing 30, I think they'll be a little, you know, apprehensive about giving someone that age that kind of contract. I don't think we'll keep him. I, I think he'll we'll go back to France. But I think you're. You'll have another season. He'll run his contract down. Yeah, but he's probably. I was saying last night on the on our live show that he's not a player that like he's not like a Birmingham. He doesn't rely on his pace. He's he's always going to be the same kind of player like that up until Premier League quality 31, 32. So maybe he could sign another uh, a two year deal and then when he's thirty two and then go back maybe go back to France. I know Lyon is his club. And at 32, playing in 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 the Farmers League, that's, you could you still get 30 goals a season easily. I mean, shit, me and Daniel could probably get 30 goals a season in France. <laughs> well, yeah, between us, maybe. Uh, but, we've been. Oh, go on. I, I was going to say on sort of you know transfers and squad and things as as well is another thing that is is concerning. And James brought up a good point there. It's around contracts. And I know that Arteta is keen for us to avoid the position uh, where we lose um, Aaron, you know, an Aaron Ramsey or we get players down into the last year of their contract and we have no choice but to sell or lose them on a free at the end of the year. Um, and it's making me think about um, Balogun. Because, uh, again, I'm looking at the first team squad and I'm wondering why is Eddie... Make, you know, getting minutes, why is Balogun not? Is it because he's refusing to sign a contract? And it's one of those things, it's, you know, what comes first, the contract or the minutes? Um, and someone's going to have to break. And I really hope that, 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 that Balogun looks at Arsenal and thinks, you know, if I sign the contract, I'll get the minutes. Um, and he does stay on. Because I think he's, I think he's a talented player. Um, I do I'm, think I'm always that, a little bit iffy about that. I mean, He's, he's a talented player, mm. but up until now, would you agree he's not been getting the minutes? It just feels a bit like, should we promise it, him the minutes because he's not going to sign a contract or do we yeah. give him a contract because he warrants the minutes? I, well, I, th- I, I think he's not getting the minutes because of the contract saga. That's that's what I think. Because he was maybe, playing. Yeah. He was playing in the, in the Europa League and he was getting minutes there and he was, he was doing well and he's, he scored a couple of goals. And I look at um, it's fine. I was playing um, playing FIFA recently for the first time in about six years. I just it was it was really cheap, so I decided to buy it. And um, I, I've ended up um, managing some some club in the A League in Australia. And I bought a player from I bought them in on a free transfer. I was like, I know this player. Like I I know who's like. Why can't I remember who it was? And it was Glindo. Who you might remember, um, young Bolivian kid, or he's not young anymore, but he's he signed for Arsenal for about 2014, 2015. And uh, yeah, well, he was going to be the next, you know, big thing. And I do remember him. And he came on the pre season tour, um, you know, and he and he, he got a few got a few minutes. Um, and he left, and I was and it made me think like, 
when was the last time a young player left Arsenal for whatever reason, whether it's because they hadn't quite made it or it's because they thought, you know, they were too good to wait their chance, went somewhere else and had a bigger career or actually even no. had a career that you can remember. And I think oh, probably Anelka. That's it, I think. Well, but, mm. but even his career was very stop start, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, the last one I can remember, and I'm going to go back a long ways here. Andy Cole. Andy Cole. That's the last person I can remember leaving Arsenal and going on and having a better career elsewhere. Um, I can't remember a single kid who's left. So, you know, I, I would really hope that Balogun, for the sake of his talent, decides to, to stay at Arsenal. Because I do think he could bring a lot to the team, especially if we're going to lose Lacazette. We've had a few do that in the past, haven't we? We had the, the other two Willock brothers. Um, one of them, uh, Matty Willock, went to uh, Man United and then last seen at Gillingham in, I think, the Championship or League One. And then Chris Willock, the other one who was meant to be the real talented one, went to Benfica. Then now he's, he's um, last seen at Huddersfield online. I think he may have come back. Uh, some other team. I, can't, I did these notes quite um, ages ago. And then we what had... The person that left Arsenal to do better that's done really well. What about uh, Serge Gnabry? Oh, yeah, that's true. That is very true, actually. That That is a cracking We don't point. want facts like that. There's no room yeah. for facts like that in a pod like this. How dare yeah, you? Yeah, keep, keep those facts. Up. But yeah, Serge Gnabry, you know, it, but I mean, a generational talent. Yeah, but we didn't want him to go. The club didn't want him to go, did they? No. He we wanted, wanted to go, didn't we? Uh, yeah, yeah. Walcott was in his way and he was never going to get games, but he was magnificent. We got that Marcus McGuane went to Barcelona. I think he's now playing in the championship. And you had, um, you had another one who went to Juventus, uh, Stefan Mafidi. He went to Juventus and then they've got rid of him and he's now back playing in France. So good point. Talking about loans. God, you're like a fountain of information, aren't you? Certainly am. Do you want to have a little, a little, a little loan quiz? Since the Premier League has started, Arsenal have had 17 players on loan. When you take out the six that have been um, that we currently have on and off for the last year or so, that leaves eleven players in the Premier League era that have come to Arsenal on loan. Should we have a quiz and see who can get the most number from right? Um, I'm thinking heads or tails. I'm thinking which one. So I've I've, I've picked a heads or a tails. Daniel, should we just shout, should we just shout them out? No, well, I'm going to go one. You can have What's one at go each. So, so All right, we'll Daniel, go one each. Oh, Daniel, Daniel's got one. But Ben and you, James. Henri. Oh, good. Daniel? Oh, yeah. Um, this isn't going well. No, I'm stumped. I'm, I'm honestly stumped. I can't, I can't think. Um, no, I got another one. I got another one. Go on, James. Uh, Kim Kallstrom. Hey, 2-1. Oh, yeah. Shout me if you got them because Daniel's run dry. Uh, are we counting Sol Campbell and Jens Lehman? No, they weren't on loan. They come to us on short-term contracts. Uh, Dennis Suarez. Oh, yeah. 3-1. Yeah. Just... But we're not using We're not talking about the current ones, are we? No. There is uh, one we had from Real Madrid, a striker. Baptista. Oh, he's done oh, it. 4-1. Yeah. Yeah. There was a goalie we got from Palermo. Viviano. Oh, I'll tell you what. It's embarrassing. I'll have to give this up soon. Yeah. We had a goalkeeper from Sunderland. Latvian. Oh, Mark, Mark Poo. Oh, yeah, Mark oh. Poo. Yeah. He's, he's, just, he's getting there just a, um, just a little bit faster. And the only other one was um, a young man we got from Bastia in France who we ended up signing and we sold to Barcelona. Alex Song. 
Hey, there you go. I didn't know he was on though. Yeah, short term. I mean, and the other ones you missed out, we wouldn't have got James Hilson, goalkeeper from Reading in February 19. Mikhail Papadopoulos, we had from Banacostrava on loan, and then we bought him. Fabian Caballero on loan from a Paraguayan side. What is it? Wellington Silver was he on loan originally? No, no, we just loaned, loaned him out everywhere, didn't we? He had 116 loans, and going back before that, before the Premier League era, Jim Layton from Man United on loan never used him. Then 1983, John McNeil, and then 1970, Dave Mechick. We got him from Atlanta Chiefs in the North American Soccer League. So wow, there you go. That's um, Daniel. You, you've you've been tucked up like a kipper. Then do you tuck well, kippers? But in, fa- in fairness, I was just inches before him. Which sounded dirtier than it was supposed to. But you know what? But, but what I would I would say on that is seventeen lone players, yeah. eleven of them in the Premier League area, came in over a period of about twenty five years. Yeah. And then the last six have come in the last eighteen yeah. to twenty four months. Yeah. And I think that shows the point that it's it's worrying. You're making financial wise, what's going that, on? What is going on that we're having not not having or choosing whatever the choice is, whether it's have no choice or we do have the choice why are we loaning so many players it's four letters i think is the reason for that p-e-p-e we've got (laughs) no money we've been stung well i said we would we were absolutely grifted by raul um and you know i think it's you look at william um i think that's um i think the grift goes on but not from raul i think there are other people where the grift is going on that guy with a funny name, isn't it? Kia Jurabshian. Yeah. Poxy fucking clients. And it, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I am, I'm really worried about, it's a bit, you know, not to make it political, but it's a bit like what's going on with all the government contracts. They all seem to be going to, you know, someone's mate. It's um, fucking nepotism, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, cronyism is, is, <laughs> is, is the correct <laughs> term. I just assume that all, all all members of the Conservative Party are somehow inbred and interrelated. Well, yeah, probably. But you know, I think that the um I think it is a real yeah, it's a it's a real concern that we're loaning so many players. As I say as as you said, six in the last sort of eighteen, twenty-four months, eleven in twenty-five odd years before that. Or actually if you if you want to go even further back, you're looking at about thirteen, fourteen players in fifty years. Mad. <laughs> absolutely mad it is it's weird right um boys and girls we're gonna have a little lesson here and uh, my friend uh, christopher herland he is born in norway brought up in brighton went to south america for six years wrote a book um tears at the bombonera which is currently for sale somewhere we're gonna do a little uh, pod with him coming on he was the one during world cup in brazil he was the one who did the interviews of amy lawrence for us and now he's back in norway and he's doing teaching so i don't want anyone going hold on he's got a south london accent or whatever it is no he is a born and bred norwegian and speaks perfect norwegian Um, if you go to twitter and go to at h-y-l-l-n-d H-Y-L-L-N-D. Go give him a follow. He's a wonderful bloke. And he's uh, what he's done, he's, he's helped us as useless English people, British people out by um, being a teacher. He's going to teach us how. This is going to take about one minute and 10 seconds. Can teach us how to say the, the Martin man. Are we all ready? What, what was, hang on. What was his um, thing with you again? His address? Highlander. H-Y-L-L-N-D. But his surname is Highland. Highland, I don't. Oh, probably can't say that. It could be only one. 
Yeah, that's it. Oh, nuns, no sense of humour. That's what I think I've got that wrong. I'll look it up uh, afterwards. Okay, right. So here we go. One minute of him um, schooling us. Let's let's practice his name together. Martin Erdegoy. I can't find where the speaker is. You have okay. in the surname, you have two A's together, which in Norwegian you can also write with a single A with a ring on top. I'm sure many people have seen it. That's an or sound. So, in fact, all three Norwegians who have played for the Arsenal have that sound in their name. Paul Lidersen of the early 90s. Horvard Nortweit, captain of the reserves. I don't think he ever played for the first team uh, in an official match. And hopefully, Martin Ødegård. Um As um, Erling Braut Holland of Borussia Dortmund has said in interviews before, he says when, when people say his name in English, he doesn't mind if people call him Harland because there is no or sound. I mean, there is a sound, but there's no or letter in English. So he doesn't mind that people call him Harland. So I'm sure Martin Odegaard won't mind. But if if you're pedantic or interested in languages, Martin Odegaard. Fascinating. Martin. Can I, can I just um, put something out there? which I You're not going to poo-poo him, are you? No, no, no. He's absolutely right. And I wouldn't think to one second to just disrespect your friend because he knows far more about that language than I ever will. It's just a theory. And it's something I think you both might agree with. His name is actually far better when you say it in a terrible Northern accent. So it's fucking Martin Odegaard. Much better. You said that just as your audio broke up. And I think it enhanced it a little bit. Let's I try it again. Say again. Northern accent. Yeah. Fucking Martin Odegaard, the best. I, I, I think the name probably sounds slightly better in the uh, South Park took our jobs accent. Go on. Odegaard. Odegaard. It's Erdogan, uh, Martin. Yeah. I'm just going to refer to him as Martin. A, a little, little unknown fact is actually um, James Stokes is the anglicised pronunciation. Everybody who speaks proper Bristolian knows that his name is actually James Storks, isn't it? Yeah, Stork. hello, 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 I'm Storksy. Mr. Storks, I am. Here, Storksy, i got a good idea, I have. Yeah, oh, I'm off to Asdol. <laughs> that Bristolian accent is oh, does me in its life. So, James, if you know any any women that are dark, on dark English, there's nothing wrong with Bristolian accent. I know, I love dark. it. A little bit, a little bit plump. If you've got any, uh, just send them my way because of that accent. Oh, they make me melt. I love them. Do you want me to put a wig on for you? Because I will. Again. Yeah, but the last time you billed me for six hundred pounds and services sent... rendered, I'm not cheap. And then you sent me the people who did justice for Gimli's Willie, um, people the, the solicitors around, and uh, it cost me six grand in the end. What we can do for thirty-five pounds, you could have a picture of Jock in a training bra. <laughs> and I wouldn't say there isn't one. I would just there. like to say I distanced myself from this conversation. <laughs> how he is old? How is Jockey Walkie Doodah? I do miss him. He's He's do, he's doing really well for himself, Jock. Is uh, yeah. he's got himself like a he's a content editor and he's really fucking good at it as well. It's like for him, it's his dream job. Um, yeah. Because we all know he was always a really, really good writer, but it's like someone has given him the opportunity where he can have an avenue to do that for a living. Fair play to him. Yeah. And do you ever hear from Simi Javel? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. We hear, yeah. 
How's he doing? Me, me, Jock, and Sam watched the FA Cup final together. Obviously, we can't really see each other much at the moment, which is a bit sucky. Yeah. Sydney's married now. He's a married man now. No. He's got, lo- he's got a lovely wife called Kira. I was trying to set him up with my Sean. He's a good, he, he put himself on camera after a show once. I went, no wonder you don't have the camera on. You're a good-looking young man. <laughs> Seriously, any about the other ones? Uh, Green Banton, who was that? Mike. Mike. Yeah. yeah Mike's, he... Mike's nearly married now. He's engaged. Yeah, he's doing uh, well for himself too. Is there anyone else I've forgotten? Uh, well, yeah, we we did have a sort of short-term uh, love affair with uh, with a chap over in America, but then he ditched us for uh, a younger he's, one. Uh, he sullied himself by moving towards the darkness, is all I'm going to say about that. Oh, of course, yes, Devon. Um, last time I spoke to him, we had a disagreement. I've not spoken, did. Yeah, I've not spoken or heard from Devon in a long time, but I hope he's doing well because he's a seriously talented guy. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a fucking good musician. Really yeah. good. I'll yeah. tell you the story after the show because it's uh, it's, it's quite shocking. Um, lovely bloke, but yeah, we uh, ended on a sour note, bless him. Um, right, moving on from... Uh, I, I want to hear that story. <laughs> inside podcast nonsense that no one cares about. The only other things I've got to talk about is... Uh, was it? What, did you send him one too many unsolicited pictures of your genitals? And oh, you find so, it snapped. <laughs> well, you know, you know, so, could, you, could you find it? Because I'm a bit fat and I've got no yeah. idea where it's all gone. So you it, know was, on, it was worth the rummaging, put it that yeah. way. Do you know on the iPhone now you have the widgets and it can scroll through your photos? And no, because I'm not. I'm not a twelve-year-old okay. girl. I don't. I don't own an iPhone. Oh, well, I, I, I do, and um, I love <laughs> so it. <do> I. <laughs> um, anyway, it scrolls through every now and again. It picks out photos from a couple of years ago, um, oh, yeah, or five or six, or you know, eight, ten years ago. There's one particular photo which you sent me around about 2014. Um, as oh, a joke. I know exactly what. And I forwarded it on to James and and Jock just to freak them out. And it came up randomly on my phone the other day. It's a picture of you in in a in a very milky bath with oh, a, yeah. with, a, with a delicately placed sponge. <laughs> um, oh, as my and, and, and I, I looked at my phone. And I was like, "Why the hell do I still have that?" <laughs> You know, I used to have that, but Mike and Andy have now edited that, put a big pink flamingo where the sponge was, and they've got Andy <laughs> dive bombing into my bath, and then um, Mike also adds himself into the picture because, quite frankly, they're perverts. If if we're gonna Photoshop that, what we should be doing is replacing the sponge with um, Bernie Sanders in his mittens, <laughs> or just a giant mitten, <laughs> and and he could have he could have uh, Conor McGregor mitten. asleep in the side of the bath with me. Give yourself a bit of credit there, mate. <laughs> Um, yeah, sorry, a tiny little um, glove. Um, right, so uh, is there any point talking about William and Pepe? I think we've already covered that, haven't we? Nah. Okay. Um, right, thoughts for the rest of the season. If I go and have a look at the current scores in the Premier League, Chelsea today drew 0-0 with the mighty Wolverhampton Wanderers at home. Everton are beating Leicester 1-0, which is good for us. And Man United are at home to Sheffield United, and Sheffield United are winning 1-0 at half-time. Now, we all know yeah. that Man United will get six or seven penalties and end up winning this 9-1. But, the, wor- the worst thing that can happen is them to lose before they play us on Saturday because it will just be one of those where they'll come, they'll be empowered, they want to get back from a loss and we'll end up doing something fucking stupid. So I'd quite right. happily if they win or draw that one. 
Well, a draw would be good. But looking at the league table, you know, a little while ago we were uh, we were bang on dead certs. Listen, according to this Twitter, that we were going to get relegated, and next season we'd yes. be in the championship if we were lucky. We're yeah. currently on nine ninth place. We've dropped down a place because Chelsea have got um, got a point today. But they're in eighth on thirty, but they've got a better goal difference. We're only three points behind Spurs. You know, Spurs are the greatest team that's ever played football. Yes, they've got two games in hand, but we've got the points. And they've got to earn the points. And Liverpool are four points ahead of us. Daniel, how do you feel about the season, how, how the turnaround, and how do you think the rest yeah. of the season is going to go? Are you, are you full of um, the joys of spring? Oh, I'm, I'm brimming with optimism. I remember uh, just 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 before Christmas, I remember saying to uh, to the pod guys, and uh, I think I might have said it on the old Twitter as well, that if we if we go on a run, we've, we've got the potential. We had games, and we, we just beaten Chelsea. Um, so it was just after Christmas, actually. And so the games that are coming up, if we can sort of take close to maximum points out of those, we're going to be shooting up the table. This nonsense about Arsenal being a, in, in a relegation battle, it, it's, it's, it's just, you know, hyperbolic bullshit from people who just talk absolute crap. Um, who've got, I mean, you know, how ridiculous... You know, do you have to be to look at a team like Arsenal? But bearing in mind, OK, we might be going through a bad run of form and we might not have the best squad that we've ever had. But to look at Arsenal and to look at the teams that are also in the Premier League and, and try to claim that, that there are 17 better teams than us and there's no way we're going to get out of, out of you know the relegation. It's just it was ridiculous. We've now got 16 points out of 18, I believe. Um in in our last um you know six, six in the form six table so i i, I don't think any team's going to be better than us in form i think we're probably going to be leading the form table i can't imagine well man city are six out of six of 18 and like you were saying we're second okay. with there. 16 but we've got a goal difference of plus 12 in six games yeah it's how long did we spend on minus goal difference yeah and do you know what? I, I i i look at the big test i thought in that initial run after Chelsea was going to be Southampton. And I thought that if we lost to Southampton or if we had like a difficult draw, it would have knocked all the wind out of our sails. And I think that having won the way that we did so comprehensively, it was a superb performance all round. I mean, okay, we we conceded a goal early on, but defensively it was a fantastic performance. The pressing was excellent. The um, attacking the movement, the movement of the front players was just so good. Um, and you know, Pepe had an outstanding game. I mean, you know, if Pepe's performing, then God, what does that say about the rest of the team? So I think that, having won, that having won that game, having that extra day's rest over Man United, um, going into Saturday's game, I, I'm going to be honest, I don't think we're going to win it, but I don't think we're going to lose it either. I think we're probably going to end up drawing and that that'll be a good result for us because then we have again another little run of games where we can pick up results and I think as long as we can keep the momentum going and we can eke out results in games you know like the upcoming Man United game and and, and other games we've got further down the line I think that there is a real opportunity for us to break into the top 6 um I, I might even be as bold as to say that I don't think top 4 is settled yet um, and I'm not saying that we're going to be in there, but there's no reason we couldn't be in there. As you say, we're, we're, we're three points off Spurs. We're four points off Liverpool. You know, the champions 
a misfiring. Chelsea are not doing very well at the moment. They're kind of having the reverse season to what we yeah. had. They started They're fourteen. Yeah, the form table with five points. Oh, they're in a relegation battle. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and then you know, I, I think that Man City are obviously doing well. Man United are doing well. Everton and Leicester are pushing, you know, strongly up the table. I actually think the team that we that 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 everyone should look out for, who could absolutely surprise everyone, is Aston Villa. That's a good show. Um, games in hand. They've got so many games in hand um, and they've got a really settled team. And I think this is this is probably the difference, say, between Aston Villa and Arsenal. Whereas we're sort of that team in transition. We're trying to move a lot of players out and bring a lot of players in. Aston Villa have been doing very quiet business over the last few years. And the biggest splash they made this year was to buy Martinez from us, which massively strengthened their team, which is why, you know, he's got the most clean sheets in the league. They've got a very, very stable team. They've got a good manager. They've got a defined style of football, which lends itself well to playing a defensive game or playing on the counter-attack, like when they've done us up like a kipper. Um, and they've got some, you know, standout players as well. I mean, Jack Grealis is out of this world, uh, you know, supremely talented guy think, is brilliant and they've just gone yeah. and spent 17 million on a central midfielder from Marseille I've no idea I could pretend yeah. and go oh yeah I've seen every game he's ever played but I've never even heard of him yeah he's fantastic no same but- <laughs> Cre- Cre- Cress or no won't he oh yeah. he's yeah he, he's probably um, he's probably hearing this through the, the vibes mm. probably knows him probably friends of him mm, uh, probably yeah. uh, his, his own personal consigliere is it English coach? But you know, uh, I look at, I do, I look at the league this year, and it's so unbelievably open. And I think part of that is actually the situation we're in with COVID is really interesting. I mean, it's it's, it's terrible, it's horrible. But from a football perspective, it's interesting because not having the fans, it shows what an impact fans have. But not having those fans in the stadium, I think, is actually. Um, leading to slightly better refereeing performances because they're not being influenced by the crowd. Um, We're actually seeing um, teams which are usually doing really well at home are actually conceding a lot of goals and, you know, dropping points. Um, Not having that 12th man gene the team on, um, I think, has helped. But also, I think conversely, for teams which are wanting to push on that kind of mid-table level, not having the expectations of fans who are very going to be up and down, sort of like, yeah, we've won a game in the next one, boo, you're all crap. Um, you know, like you tend to get in the mid-table where you win one, lose one, win one, lose one. You rarely pick up a bit of form. They're picking up form now because I think they, they there's that pressure has been lifted. I think when fans are allowed back into the stadium, I think we're going to see a bit of a revert to type and the top four is going to be a bit more predictable and stable again. But I think right now, with the whole situation around football, it's so open and, you know, don't count us, don't count us out of the top four. With the run of form we're on, if we continue with this run of form in the remaining, how many games we've got left? 18 games, you know? With our current run of form, in those 18 games, you know, you, you pick up... I, I don't know, 50 points, 45, 50 points, then suddenly, you know, we're between 70 and 80 points. I think that might be enough to get in the top four this season. 
Great point on the you know, crowds because uh, Burnley went to Liverpool and broke their run of 76 games. I think it was 76 at home in the league without losing. Went there 1-1-0 with a penalty. That never would have happened normally. And then tonight, Burnley have gone and beaten Aston Villa 3-2. I mean, when was how often did Villa concede goals? Hardly yeah. ever. And looking at the form table, um, James, it's uh, like I was saying, Arsenal are in second with yeah. 16. Spurs are ninth with eight. Liverpool are 11th with six points. Chelsea are 14th with five. Do you, do you think that Daniel's got a point? Well, I agree with him that um, top four isn't out of the question because every team apart from Man City is on its ass, and then they Fair win enough. and then they lose. When I said it earlier in, along in the podcast that I was sort of sceptical or dubious that we'd be able to make it, I think since saying that, I've been thinking about it. I had a look at some of the results as they were coming in earlier, like you said. You think everything is so unpredictable. I mean, there is no sort of pattern to be established from anything. I mean... There's no home results. There's no you know, favoring towards away results. It's just madness, essentially. The fact that um, I'm sure this will upset a lot of their fans, but the fact that Man United are contending for the league without actually having really been any good at all just shows you what um, just a, a whole sort of farrago of nonsense this season is. I mean, it could very well find us in fourth, but if we have a dip in form, we could be 15th, 16th. I'd like to think that that sort of bad patch that we had, the uh, succession of losses in games that you didn't ordinarily thought we'd get points in, that sort of patch, hopefully that's out of the way. We've got that out of our system. The mistakes that were made in that um, run have sort of been rectified. And I think we look a much better team. And when I say team, the emphasis is on team. We look a better team, look more together, more like the players are on board with one another and more like there is a system in which certain key components gel. Whereas when we were playing before, and you, I, I don't want to single players out, but it's the specifics for me with David Luiz, Willian, and those kind, they just look more like they were happy to sort of shamble around aimlessly, pocketing their wages and not really putting the kind of effort we needed in. Whereas now, without that injection of useful impetus, and we look a much better team for it. So I, I think Arteta has learned that that's where the team is in this squad. The team is the people, the kid, the, the young players, and, the, and some of the older, more established players. There's a correct balance there, and they've gelled. So, taking that into account, there is no logical reason given that anything can happen why we can't progress to fourth. But I'm cautiously optimistic, partially pessimistic. I can see us if we finished sixth and got into Europa League that way, I'd be happy. Mm-hmm. I, don't th- I don't think we'll get in the top four. I think as much as I, it's sort of, maybe it goes against being Arsenal, the greatest team in the world, but I think there are four better teams than us in the league. And, and that will see itself out by the time we get to 38 games. Yeah, I mean, it, when you look at the table now, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea, Arsenal. In most years... If, if you said to someone in this order, Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea, Arsenal, what am I talking about? They go, ah, oh, top four. And I think the fact that you've got four teams you would, you would normally argue would be fighting for a European spot. So, you know, anything between top four, top six. And then you look above them, 
and you've got three teams, West Ham, Everton, Leicester, who you would ordinarily say one of them might have an outside chance of, you know, maybe scraping seventh place and getting into the Europa League because someone's won the someone's won the cup and it's it's knocked the places down a little bit and they get in that way. Um and then the top two Man City and Man United. I just but right now we're eleven points. I'll, I'll use Man United for an example because we played the same amount of games. We're 10 points behind Man United. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think at some point in recent, um, you know, just before Christmas, I believe we were about 12, 13 points off Liverpool, who at the time were leading the league because they were they topped the league at Christmas. Um, the fact that we're now only four points behind them, we've closed a gap by nine points in six games. What's to say that we couldn't close a gap of nine points in six games on United? We're playing them at the weekend. You win them, suddenly, you know, you've you've, you've closed three of those ten points um, and you've played the same amount of games. Again, I'm not saying we're going to get in the top four. I just think that anyone who makes predictions about what the top four is going to be this year, um, you know, they've got to have balls of steel, especially if they're putting money on it, because... It, it it would be you would it's a mugs game to put money on the top four this year. It's so unpredictable. Oh, we'd have no chance. Just, yeah, like, it, like, could, like, it could it could be left of Villa, Man City, and yeah. I mean, right now, Man City, United are in the top two. Mm. I'm going to make a little prediction and say that by the time we've played thirty games, that one of those won't be in the top two anymore. At least that's interesting. I I. I I can't see, and they keep proving me wrong in fairness, but I can't see Man United sustaining a challenge. I think event, eventually Liverpool are going to pull their socks up and get back out there. Well, hopefully not. But um, to say what you were, you were saying about earlier, um, James, uh, and I think you were both mentioning how upside down this league is. Man United this season at home, they have lost three games at home and no games away. Their home record scored 12, conceded 13. I mean, even, even the likes of... Um, Leicester, they've lost four home games, one away game. I will, credit, I, will credit this, I will credit United with this. They're very good on the counter-attack. I think they're well, far more... the penalties they get. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they got the 12th man and all, but credit where it's due. I was watching them play Liverpool the other night, and I thought, yeah, fair play. They're very good when they've just received, retained possession. Well, they are a bit one-dimensional in relying on Fernandez and penalties and the counter-attack. Other than that, they're not defensively strong. They're not midfield strong. Pogba hardly ever turns up. But it's interesting, actually. You know, I, I do think they're a good side. And I think there's two points about Man United at the moment. The first one is the manager's been given trust in order to... I mean, he went through a period of bad results. Is it trust or is it they can't afford to keep sacking managers and getting new ones in? They've got it on the cheap at the moment. Because well, he isn't I a high-earning manager, is he? No, I mean, you know, it, it may it may be, um, you know, it may not be trust, but the semblance of trust, you know, the or you know, trust by way of not having the money to sack him. But he's been kept on, and he's been allowed to turn things around. And actually, if you look at the style of football that United play under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, it's actually very similar to the style of football that he played under Sir Alex Ferguson when he was a player. I'm not saying, not comparing the managerial talent or saying that the squads that they were in are anywhere near similar, but 
the Man United squads of the 90s and the early 2000s were counter-attacking teams. You know, they weren't, you know, they weren't possession, retain the football, play beautiful football like we did. They played attractive football, but I think there's a difference between attractive and beautiful. Um, and I think United currently are an attractive team. Bruno Fernandes gives them that little bit of extra oomph, um, you know, that aesthetic a brilliance that we all tune into football to watch because we want to be entertained. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't say that they're playing beautiful football. Actually, I don't think any team is actually playing beautiful football this season. I mean, you know, you had some of the goals we've been scoring recently have been. I mean, the ones against um, uh, West Brom and Newcastle. Some of that was actually jaw-droppingly amazing. Mm. The goal last night, um, Lacazette scored was a yeah. beautiful. Yeah, I mean, we've. You know, we've we have played some good stuff, and I think it's interesting actually looking at Solskjaer's style of football as a manager compared to what he was as a player. It's very similar. It's always he's very much drawing on his experience of when I was a player. We played like this, we got results, and it's working out for him. Whether it will work out to the end of the season, I agree with James. I, th- I think you know the, the wheels will start to come off at some point, or at least the ha- you know the handbrake will come on. Um, it's interesting looking at the way Arteta wants his teams to play football is unlike any style of football he played as a player. There are elements of it. You see little bits of, you know, the Wenger years in there. Um, is and it Pep-based though, do you think? Do you think he's, he's got from Pep and then um, and made it into his own, evolved it a little bit? Possibly. I think he's, yeah, he's the amalgamation of the two, or at least he tries to be. Yeah. What, two, what better two to learn from if it's an amalgamation of Wenger and Pep? Um, Absolutely. But one thing I will say for for Arteta is, sadly, it's going to follow him around his whole career. He's always going to be, you know, um, baby pep. That's he's always going to be seen as someone all oh, you learn from any anything he does is going to be linked to always oh, because he learned from Pep. When I actually don't see a huge amount of similarity between the way Arsenal are trying to play and the way that Man City do play. Um, OK, yeah, there's a lot of pressing, but. Liverpool press under Klopp, you know, um, you um, Southampton press under Hasenhutl. You're going to see Chelsea press under um, Tuchel as well. So uh, I don't think pressing is necessarily a pep thing. Why do you think that say, he's picked up bits from Wenger and he's picked up bits from um, uh, he's picked up bits from Guardiola? But if we're going to compare him to an Arsenal manager, I would I would say that. His first, his first year or so at Arsenal, I would say probably f- far more reminiscent of George Graham um, than it is of anyone else. Because the first thing he did when he's coming, he's he's worked on the defence. We're a much much tighter unit. I don't, I don't worry that we're going to lose games to stupid goals anymore. I mean, Saturday we did, but you know, I don't worry about it the way I used to. Um, I worry, are we going to score goals? And now he's got scoring goals. I think the defence has clicked. The midfield is improving now that Partey is playing a little bit more. And the, def- the, the the attack looks a lot more settled now that we, we've we settled on the fact that Saka is the starter, that we're not trying to bring him in and out and trying to get Pepe into form. So Saka is the man, Saka is playing. Um, and Pepe, Pepe has to beat Saka in order to get into the team or hope that, Lacazette or Alabama Yang isn't able to play and then he can get his team and I think now that we have that settled or Arteta has that settled first choice 11 in his head and I think he does have that settled first choice 11 I think that's where the results are coming from Um, 
you know, you know, the, the Sky Sports pundits are saying, oh, it's kind of falling in, into his lap because the young players have come in and done a great job. Well, I think that's bullshit because Saka has been in the team for almost two years now. This is his second full season. Emery gave um, him his debut, didn't he? Yep. Um, and Smithrow as well. And Smithrow, mm. yeah. Um, Tierney um, has just been, he's moved up a level and he's just been playing fantastically well. The only player who really came in was Emil Smith-Rowe. And, okay, maybe that was luck because the people in front of him got injured and Arteta had no choice but to play him. But And James and I have had this conversation a fair bit, um, uh, especially with Mike and Sim and Jock, when we've been talking about the manager. And I've been a big advocate of I trust this process. I see what's happening. and whenever the conversation turns to William or poor results, I've always said the squad is just not good enough. And James makes a really good point every time, which is the squad overall might not be good enough, but Arteta's, Arteta is the person who keeps on picking William. He's the one who keeps on picking El Nenny. So he's anytime, Pepe, hasn't it? He's, he's, he's taken him a year and a half, but he's had a good game. Yeah, but you know, like I said, when when you say that the the manager picks the squad, um, Emil Smith Rowe may have got into the squad <clears throat> by chance, but he's played himself into constant contention, and Arteta keeps picking him. So you know, I don't think it's luck. Um, I think it's good management. Uh, Daniel's a little bit distracted because James has told us he needs a poo, so we got to go. Yeah. I, I was really trying to finish that without saying James is turtle heading. Uh, not, not quite. Not it's not quite that state. It's not yet a fully blown stomach yeah. gurgling emergency. To be uh, fair, these, these are things people want to know. No one cares about tactics. No one cares about Saka or Pepe. What they care about is the bowel movements, irregular or regular, of James. Well, I, I have IBS, so at times they can be hell worthy. I so have you got one of um, your boys' nappies that you can just uh, yeah. string a couple of those together and hook them on? Yeah. I don't think anyone needs to see the pained grimaces upon my face as I'm shitting myself in a chair. Yeah. And for anyone who wants to know, IBS stands for Idli- Idris Bankley Stokes. Um, he's a left back who plays for Juventus and oh. uh, Man City have just bid 50 million for him. So He's one of my bastard children. <laughs> we, we, we do need to get him right james um which is anything you'd like to finally say before we wrap this this shenanigans up uh yeah i mean it's just nice to be able to be optimistic about the team at the moment isn't it i mean since yep. the, since the chelsea game since that panned out in such a favorable way uh, I, like i was um, touching on earlier there's like i think we've crossed the bridge turned the corner to use all the cliches that we look a much better team. It's, it's, the more go cliches, the better. Yeah, you, it's, you can be more optimistic for how things are going to go in the future. And I, it's just nice to the, for all that bile and all that nonsense that everyone gets so het up and wound up about things when they're going wrong. It's nice for all of that to just, you know, momentarily dissipate and you can get a bit of gleaming optimism on the horizon. So, yeah, I'm in, I'm in good place as far as Arsenal go at the moment. Not much, not much more to add than that. Daniel needs a shit now as well. It's contagious. <laughs> the the, the desire. 
I'm not ordinary. Normally, I'm very sort of promptly a morning pooer. It's oh, 4 a.m. My, my, my evening poos occur arbitrarily, sometimes without any warning whatsoever. <laughs> I, I think that's called incontinence, James. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've done another. <laughs> no, I mean, what I mean is the sensation for a poo can come on, you know, like that. If you ever suffer or you have suffered with IBS, you know that, that one minute you can be enjoying a cheese sandwich, the next minute, you're opening a fucking portal to hell in the porcelain bowl. <laughs> Next week on a Burkrap Wonderland, an Arsenal Cup. <laughs> you know when you've gone too far, when a missus digs a hole in the garden and that is your hole when you've got a dodgy belly. Anyway, that's enough talk about that. Daniel, any any final words for the wonderful listeners? Any news on Goonosphere? Any more lies you're going to tell them about when you're going to come back, get them all excited and then let them down? Um. Well, in the, in, in, the, in the words of the great Arsene Wenger, uh, maybe something will happen. And if we do it, you'll be the first to know. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I've actually, when I, I went and got all your old ones. You're in a podcast with Meza Ozil. I was listening to some of your old uh, I, I, ones. I was, we yes. had to film um, clips. My brother and I, my brother and I, um, Daniel knows my brother, and we're both very big uh, film nice. nerds. So we're thinking about maybe starting up our own film podcast. Like if you've ever listened to anything like, how did this get made or the rewatchables or any podcast like that? We're thinking about having a pop at doing something like that ourselves. So I'm going to try and use this glorious avenue as a means of promoting that. Good. Very good. I've actually made uh, I like films that I've made a database, uh, a spreadsheet of the films I've watched so far this year. Hope Gap, Lockdown, Synchronic, The Most Wanted Man, Wild Target, Semi-Pro and Blythe Spirit. And I give it's them a What's Synchronic about? To just watch the trailer for that. Ah, it's a uh, huge plot holes. Um, no, all I did, I, I, I tweeted that I watched it and I thought it was all right. And then one bloke went, cruelty to animals. And I've one said it was racist. Fuck, they're kind of morons no. that watch films. But it's really good idea. But then it goes a little bit wonky and you think, no. You, you know, like they break a film up into three three parts. Um, yeah. First part, really good. Second part, quite interesting. Third part, they went, someone else write the third part. I'm going for a poo. So, like um, uh, yeah. like Venom, which is good at the start and just went to absolute shit by the end of it. Well, I liked it. But again, I'm not a comic fan. Anyway, on those those wonderful words um, from you, my two lovely guests, um, where can people find you, Mr. James Rao Stokes? Where can they find you on the Twitters? They can find me on the Twitters at James Rao Stokes, or one word. And if you follow me, if your heart desires such things, and I can, I can say that I will relay upon you great wonders and treasures, the likes of which the Sierra Madre has never seen. <laughs> Absolutely magnificent. Daniel, can you top that? Uh, yeah, you can find me at P-O-T-U-S. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the one? No, that's not. That's how it was. He's the, the, doesn't that his burner account? Because his other one has gone. <laughs> well, you know, that. That's the account I use for like politics stuff. People want to talk to me uh, uh, about foot- football. I'm uh, at Arsenal. Yeah, excellent. I've got you blocked then. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, dear. I didn't realise that was you. Oh, dear. Anyway, um, thank you very much to everybody for listening. Thank you very much to my wonderful guest, uh, Daniel James. And I'll give a little little jockey doodah a little wave because he was going to be here, but we'd have had to have done it five o'clock yesterday and I was still in bed. So uh, thank you very much for listening. Hopefully you will all be listening to a Goonosphere or a, um, a, a James Ralstoke production of, or the Stokes production of something film-based. I'll be listening to that. Because the great is... Jock at Tramman. Mm, yes, indeed. Tramman. 
at Troutman. The podcast is uh, the Wittertainment. Um, hello to Jason Isaacs. If you are listening, I'm a VV. Oh, I, love, I love hello. Yeah, you're a member of the Twitter Twitterati, are you? I love and say hello to Jason Isaacs. I love that for a show. It is. Uh, I'm a VVVVVV. I've got them all saved. I download, used to download all the podcasts going back to about 2009. Got them all. And I've never listened to a single one of them. Right. We're waffling and we're whiffling when we should be saying goodbye. So thank you very much, everybody. And we will see you um, on uh, Saturday after Man United game. Everybody, if we can all wave at the same time. We're all wave. Goodbye. He's waving. As soon as I scored that goal, I was fucking livid. Splendid business. Get down, dog. <laughs>